book of Proverbs. Um, This is another one of those jumping all over the place sort of sermons. So if you want to land in Proverbs chapter 22, you'll be you'll be around several verses that we're going to say this morning. But um, the nature of this book, uh, they they should have organized it a little better because they (laughs) jump all over the place. And so so I apologize for that. But um, one of the things that I've been interested in in studying the Proverbs is just how much of this wisdom overlaps and. Uh, how many things that you think about, you take for granted of everyday life that we really need wisdom for? You know, there's more than 2,000 verses of Scripture in which Jesus speaks, somewhere around 2,500 or so. And I, I'm pretty sure the world as a whole pretty much only knows two words that Jesus said. Judge not, right? They don't even finish the verse. It's not even a long verse, but they don't even finish the verse. They only know, judge not. In fact, for many, that's the highest platitude in the whole Bible is judge not. You can't judge me, they say, because Jesus said so. Most people think of those words. They think I can do whatever I want. You can't really stop me. You can't. Who are you to judge me? You can't judge me. And they preach that as though... That is gospel truth. And while Jesus did say, judge not, they don't even bother to finish the sentence. Not only does God simply, not only does God not simply tell us, judge not. In fact, God expects us to judge. God demands justice. It's not just a request. It's a requirement. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 22. We'll read two verses together this morning. Proverbs 22, stand with me. We'll read verses 22 and 23 together. These and many other words that we're going to read this morning are God's words. And if you let them, they will change your life. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob life of those who rob them. Father, help us to apply your word. In Christ's name, amen. God is often pictured in the Old Testament in this sort of way. He he is the one who pleads for, he is the one who fights for the oppressed and the afflicted, the poor and the helpless. For God, taking care of those who cannot care for themselves is like a badge of honor. God expects us to do the same. Even more than offering him sacrifices, Proverbs 21.3 says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, if that verse sounds familiar, it should. Think back to the days of King Saul. Saul was told through the prophet Samuel, see those Amalekites over there? It's time to destroy them. When Israel was coming up out of Egypt, the nation of Amalek stood in their way and prevented them from coming through, treated them badly. And God said as a result that that people would be destroyed, that Amalek would not have a heritage on the face of the earth. And so he calls King Saul to finish the task, to do the work of God by destroying this nation. I know it's not a popular message, but it is a message that God will destroy you because of your sin. And he calls Saul to carry out that judgment. And Saul almost completely does it. He completely destroys Amalek, except he spares the king and takes some spoil. Samuel goes to confront Saul about this. And Saul says, but, 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 I was going to sacrifice these things to you, God. 
And Samuel said, 1 Samuel 15, 22, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does God really want the sacrifice as much as he does you just to do what he said? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. It doesn't matter what you're putting in the offering. If you're not giving God your obedience, the offering is unacceptable. To obey is better than sacrifice. God does not want our allegiance nearly as much as he wants our obedience. And justice is a requirement of God. When Micah is talking to the Israelites, he is saying, with what shall I come before the Lord? Am I going to bring him all these great offerings? Shall I come with burnt offerings, calves a year old? Will God be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of the body for the sin of the soul? Is He's saying, what great offerings can I bring that will appease God? In a, in a world full of nations who are trying to appease their gods by bringing offering after offering after offering, Micah realizes that the true God, the one true God in heaven, does not demand the sacrifice without the heart behind it. He says in Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? You want to fulfill God's requirement? God demands justice. Be just. So the question that we should be asking isn't, should I do what's just? Should I judge rightly? That's not the question. The question isn't, why should I judge rightly? God said so. That's reason enough. The question should be how. How do we judge rightly? What do we do to be good, fair judges? God gives us everyday wisdom for judging fair. He gives it to us in the book of Proverbs. So how do we judge fairly? First, we judge carefully. In my work, we have to measure certain ingredients, put food together. You've you've done it. How many of you made biscuits? You get the wrong amount of flour or the wrong amount of water or, or whatever, and it just doesn't work right, does it? Your biscuits come out clumpy or they come out more like pancakes, all all dripping all over the place, or whatever the case may be. If you don't get everything in the right kind of balance, if you're not careful with your measurements, especially in baking, it just doesn't come out right, does it? It's not just food either. This happens in lots of ways. Have you ever seen, have you ever gone to the gas pump and you look on there and there's a sticker and it says, this pump starts at zero. And it, and it's from the state, uh, somebody in the state. I don't even know who, I don't know what office it is, but somebody has to verify that that pump starts at zero. How many of you want to get to a pump and start paying at $10 before you gotten any gas? No, nobody wants to do that. Gas is expensive enough, thank you. I don't need to pay extra. What about your bank? How many of you want to pull up your bank account and find that they miscounted the money and you've got a lot less than you're supposed to have? I'm going to promise you something. You might think you want more, but they take it back. So you don't really want more in your account either. I I heard of, when I was at the bank, I heard of a case of the bank um, messing up someone's account and putting way more money than they should have had. And then they spent it. And then the bank demanded it back. And that was trouble for that person. So, yeah, don't don't spend, if the bank ever puts any extra in your account, you just give it back. (laughs) Don't, don't, Don't spend it. We need to judge very carefully. We need to make sure that we're using the right standard. 
and being accurate when we're judging. And we would, we do judge. Y'all know that, right? Every day we have to make judgments. Every day we have to make decisions. Every day, whether you're on a jury or not, whether you are a judge in a courtroom or whether you're just a kid trying to figure out how to do this math problem, you have to make a judgment every single day, many times a day sometimes, as to whether you're going to do this or that. And I want to encourage you, judge carefully. Use the right standard. When Proverbs talks about God and, and this idea of judgment, he speaks of it uh, a couple of times in with the picture of a scale. Listen to Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Then in 16.11, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. God, through the wisdom of the ancients, tells us that we need to make sure we have accurate weights. We need to make sure that we have the right standards when we make our measurements. When we're making judgments, we need to be careful that we are accurate. Jesus reminds us of why. You remember those two words, judge not? Let's read the rest. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You ever know somebody who just cheats? And they cheat, and they cheat, and they cheat. And then they get mad when people cheat them. It's coming back around. When our weights and scales are correct, we can judge fairly and confidently, knowing that we have the right standard. How often we mess this up. We often seek to judge others based on a completely different standard than we want to judge ourselves. We look at ourselves and we look at our intentions and we look at what we're trying to do and, and the motivations behind it. No, we have such great intentions and no, we think this is such a great idea and, and, and so it just is okay. Even if we screw up, it's okay because we're trying to do a good thing. But when they mess us up, then they deserve punishment. It doesn't matter what their intention is. Their intention must have been bad anyway, right? It doesn't matter what they're trying to do. They must have been seeking to destroy or harm me. So they deserve punishment. But when I do the same thing, I have a good intention. So, so I really, you know, I mean, it's, it's totally different, right? But no, it's not, is it? We're using unjust scales. And that's an abomination to God. God, help us not judge that way. Help us judge carefully. In addition to judging carefully, we should judge comprehensively. Proverbs 18.17 points out a very important truth. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. How many of you want to go to court and the judge hear the prosecutor make his case against you and then immediately render a decision? No. We have this right to a fair trial, and that fair trial includes defense for a reason, right? We don't want to unjustly convict someone of something based only on one side. How many times do we get in trouble because we hear one side and we jump to conclusions? We want it to be right, and so we just assume it's right. And it doesn't matter what the evidence says to the contrary. It's right, and I know it's right. There are people today that will swear to you up and down that this person is guilty no matter what the evidence says because they just don't like him, and other people that will say this person's innocent no matter what the evidence is because they do like him. And we do it all the time. How many times have we assumed bad motives without any sort of evidence? How many times have we assumed that people, just based on a partial knowledge, must have been guilty or innocent? 
There's one thing that this instant information, accessible and 24-hour news channel kind of life that we live teaches us. Just don't make a judgment before you get all the facts. How many times have we seen a news story come out and it looks one way and then two days later it's a completely different story? And it's all because we jump all over it at first. We don't take time to hear the facts. God says, wait till both sides of the case render. We cannot assume the other person is guilty guilty just because some of the evidence suggests it. And we can't assume they're innocent in spite of all the conclusive proof to the to the contrary. We often blindly accept whatever side suits us without looking at other possibilities and explanations. But wise judges, good, fair judges, however, don't end the trial after only one side has spoken. We need to listen to both sides. We judge, when we judge wisely, we judge comprehensively. We listen and question. We look for truth rather than a more pleasant narrative. We wait for all the facts. And because we do that, it lets us clear the air. It helps us avoid misunderstandings. How often do we find ourselves wrong because we jumped too soon, only to find out later what was really going on? Sometimes that means we're going to end up changing our minds. We think one thing, and after considering it, we decide something else. That's okay. Sometimes it means that we avoid anger and rash decisions, and boy, that's always good. Sometimes it means that we give ourselves the time and the chance to calm down enough to find other solutions that we may not have even seen in the first place. That's good too. Judging comprehensively helps us judge fairly. After all, God judges comprehensively. Job 21.22 Will any teach God knowledge? Seeing that he judges those who are on high? Who is going to tell God something he doesn't already know? That don't happen. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. He doesn't just look at what you've done. He looks at why you've done it. He looks down to the heart. He looks into the thoughts of your mind. Boy, should that scare us sometimes. He judges comprehensively. He has all the facts. And he makes the right decision because of it. Since God judges comprehensively, the least we can do is hear all sides and try to follow in his footsteps. We won't know all the facts, but we can wait until a lot of them come out to start making our conclusions. In addition to judging carefully and comprehensively, we should judge consistently. If there's one thing that all of us can agree on, it's that we want consistent judges. I'm not going to bring up football, but we all want referees that are consistent. We want an umpire who will call a strike no matter who's at bat, who call a ball when it's way up here. Some, some umpires only... They seem like they only know one word in English when a team is up the bat. And when the other team is up, they suddenly, they suddenly only know another word. It's, it's, look at, look at these two passages in Proverbs. One's in Proverbs 22. Look at verse 8. Proverbs 22, 8. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. He repeats the same idea in 23, 10. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. A little context helps us here. When God gave the land to Canaan to the Israelites, he gave them an apportionment. He said, this land right here is going to be for your family. This land is for this family. This land is for that family. God portions out the land. The tribes are where they're situated based partly on lot. 
They cast the lots. This tribe drew this amount of land. They made sure that the big tribes that had lots of people had bigger land. They made sure that the tribes that wanted to be across from the Jordan, they divided that up fairly. And all the land is divided up fairly and each family gets its area. And then they set ancient landmarks. They might put a stone or something there to make sure they knew where the property ended. Right? Okay? Now, what would happen if they were following God's law Every 50th year would be the year of Jubilee. In that year, if you had sold your land to someone else, it returned back to the original family that owned it. The whole purpose of this was to make sure that someone who was so poor and so destitute that the only thing they could do is sell their property to have, land, to have the money to survive, to make sure that that family always had an inheritance in God's land. It was a means of protecting that family's heritage for generations to come. So when you move the ancient landmark, you're not just cheating a person out of their land. You're cheating a person after out of their ancestral heritage. You're not only cheating them, you're cheating their sons and their grandsons and their great-grandsons and on down the line. Now, this really wasn't applied in practice the way it should be. God tells us not to move those ancient landmarks, though. Don't move those ancient landmarks. Don't cheat someone or someone in the future. There's an obvious direct application here. Don't go moving your property line. But there's also a more indirect application. Judge consistently. When God sets up a boundary and God says, okay, these are the rules, we need to judge consistently. We don't just need to do whatever suits us at the time, whatever makes us feel good or whatever brings benefit to us. We're not going to change the rules as the game goes along for the benefit of one and for the detriment of another. We judge consistently. A ball is a ball and a strike is a strike. Now that might be different for every single hitter, but that strike zone doesn't move just because of the color of your jersey. A, 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 a A complete pass is a complete pass. A foul is a foul. Whatever it may be, it it is what it is no matter who it is that's doing it. We judge consistently. We judge fairly by judging the same way every single time. Now, there's, there's times when we get it wrong. There's times when we mess up. There's times when we think it's one thing when it's another. But we do our absolute best to be consistent in our judgments. We don't just say, that's bad because it's them. But that same thing isn't bad when it's me. We judge consistently. That's part of how we judge fairly. Look, we cannot, we cannot move the landmarks. In fact, look back in verse 11 at the end of that verse. There is a threat that God puts on the end of the verse. Don't move the landmark. Don't enter the fields of the fatherless. Don't oppress someone who is helpless. Why not? For their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. In every other civilization in the world at that time, every other one, they would have said the first part, but they wouldn't have said the second. They would have said, don't mistreat the needy and the helpless, but they would not have said that God is on their side. This is the only culture. This is the only worldview of its day. And the Christian worldview carries it forward in which we recognize that God steps up for the people who cannot defend themselves. Their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. You don't want to go to court with God as the prosecutor. Judge consistently. Lastly, we judge carefully. We judge comprehensively. We judge consistently. We also need to judge clearly. Now, what I mean here is that when we judge, we ought to make it clearly known. You can't, you can't 
issue a judgment and it be kind of halfway, sort of both, and nobody's really sure what you mean. It's either innocent or guilty. You don't get, you might get innocent on this charge or guilty on that charge. They might lay out that way where some are, some of both, but it's going to be clear. Everybody's going to know what the judgment is when the judge rules. When the jury makes its decision, when the jury makes its verdict, everybody knows what the verdict is, right? We owe nothing less to this world, to those people around us, to those of whom we are judging, those things at which we are judging. We owe nothing less than to be clear about the judgment that we are making. Now, we are not judging that person from the standpoint of I'm better than you. We are judging that person solely based on what God says. We have His Word as the principle, the thing that we look to to make that judgment. We call a spade a spade whether we like it a spade or don't like it a spade. We judge clearly. That's how we judge fairly. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute. See, they can't open their mouths for themselves. Mute means you can't speak. They can't speak. There are so many people who do not have a voice. We are called to be their voice. For the rights of all who are destitute. There are so many people that do not have a chance to speak for themselves. Or they might have a chance to speak for themselves, but we've got a better chance. They might have a way of of voicing their opinion, but they can't get very much reach with it. Maybe that's up to us. Maybe it's up to us to declare their cause. Maybe it's up to us to proclaim the injustice that's going on. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The problem, the problem is that injustice is natural. We naturally cause injustice. We want to leg up. We want to do what's better for ourselves. And that often means stepping on those who are smaller, lower, that often means us doing them wrong in order to get ahead. Maybe, maybe you've heard the joke, I'd like to thank all the little people that I stepped on to get this award. That's the natural bend of man. We step on the little people in order to advance ourselves. The funny thing is, God takes up their case. Remember what Jesus said, um, whatever you do to the least of these you have done to me. We naturally want to gravitate toward injustice. You've heard the saying, all that's required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Injustice is normal because we're sinful. Our wicked nature compels us to cheat, compels us to make rash decisions. Ever have a toddler? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Have you ever had to teach a toddler to snatch? No, that comes pre-programmed. You gotta teach them not to. You ever have to teach a toddler not to share so much? Unless it's germs. That's one thing they don't mind sharing. They, they share those plenty. Injustice is our MO. It's the way we operate. It's the only way we can exercise justice and fulfill our divinely demanded duty is to do so unequivocally. We must judge clearly, boldly, loudly so that all will know where we stand. But you say, that's dangerous. That means others will be able to target us if they disagree. Yep. What about God? What do you think the God of the universal Say when he looks at us and sees us standing idly by, letting injustice terrorize the poor and needy, the widow and the orphan, the marginalized and the ostracized. One day we're going to have to give an account for how we judge. And I, for one, do not want to be found lacking in the way that I make decisions. So how do we judge fairly? We judge carefully. 
Making sure we use a fair, accurate standard. We judge comprehensively. Making sure we listen to all sides before drawing conclusions. We judge consistently, not changing the rules to fit our own dispositions. We judge clearly, calling our injust, calling out injustice and protecting the rights of the oppressed. In a world that cries, judge not, we know that we must judge. May God help us to judge rightly. You know, I've already talked about God as the righteous judge. The Bible says that we are all sinners and that our sin makes us accountable to God and separates us from Him and subjects us to the righteous judgment of His eternal wrath. But we don't have to bear the weight of our sin. When Christ died on the cross, He did so to make payment for us. The only way to apply that payment, to be justified before God is to repent of your sinfulness and trust Christ as your Savior. If you're ready to do that this morning, or if you'd like to talk to someone, I'll be up here at the front in just a moment. When we sing the invitation song, I'm going to invite you to come. I'd love to help you know how to do that. For Christians who know Christ, maybe God is leading you to make this your church home. That's a great judgment, by the way. I'll be up here at the front and I can help you do that. Maybe you just need to ask God to seek God's help making good, fair judgments. The altar is going to be open. Whatever, whatever God wants to do, He's calling for you to be obedient. Pray with me. Father, we give you this time. We ask you to help us to judge fairly, to be careful, to be comprehensive, to be consistent, to be clear. Help us judge the way that you judge. But Lord, before we judge others, before we look and point the finger and say they are wrong, they deserve judgment, may we first look in the mirror and check our eye for the plank. Check our heart for the sin. May we judge fairly because we have already judged ourselves and sought your forgiveness. Perhaps we could even add, help us judge compassionately, not seeking to take someone down, but to build them up. Father, help us to be righteous judges. Help us to judge fair. This is your time. You work in hearts. May we be obedient to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.